Well, good morning, Inner West. Uh, wonderful to be with you uh, via Zoom uh, this morning. Uh, we are continuing in our series, The Resurrected Church from the Book of Acts. Um, so before we uh, look at this really uh, incredible account, uh, let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we um, are really awed by what you did in those early days, the first Christians, uh, when your spirit moved powerfully um, and the gospel grew rapidly. We pray, Father, that we uh, would experience and receive that same power so that you would enable us to see a similar move um, of gospel growth in our time and in our day. We pray this in Jesus' name, the one who sends us the Spirit. Amen. Uh, well, the other day I was um, out walking Loki, our dog, and I was going up the road and um, an older guy um, was going the other direction. He stopped uh, to have a bit of a pat. Um, that's pretty usual. Our dog is pretty cute. Um, and so um, I, I had a bit of a chat with him. And as he was patting our dog, he looked up at me and said, look at that, unconditional love. Isn't that amazing? That's such a hard thing to find these days. Now, if you're in the kind of Christian minister game, that's what we call an opening. Uh, an opportunity was right before me. I wanted, my brain was racing. I wanted to share with this guy and say to him, uh, unconditional love actually isn't hard to find. In fact, Jesus offers it to us, to everyone. Um, he's poured it out into this world through his death and resurrection on the cross. All you have to do is receive it. That's what I wanted to say. And so I looked at him and I said... Well, nothing, actually. <laughs> I made a few general comments, and then we continued on our walk. The opportunity was missed. And the truth is, if I'm honest, a lot of those opportunities come my way, and a lot of them are also missed far more than I'm willing to admit, although I guess I just did. Uh, perhaps I'm wrong, but I'm guessing that that's the case for most Christians. Uh, the opportunities are there, but many of them are missed, and perhaps some of them aren't even noticed in the first place. If you're a Christian, you've been a Christian for a little while, then you probably know that we have a calling. Those who have heard the gospel and received it have a responsibility to pass it on. In Acts, it's called being a witness. It's offering the evidence of our own transformed lives and the evidence of the Bible to show that Jesus Christ is alive and is Lord and is Savior. But it's one thing to know that calling. It's quite another thing to live it. In Acts chapter 2, we see a group of people who don't just know their call, but they live it. Uh, their leader, Peter, gets up in the middle of Jerusalem in front of a crowd uh, that actually included, would have included people who just months before were calling for Jesus to be crucified. And yet Peter raises his voice to proclaim to them that very same Jesus, who their own leaders put to death, was alive again. But this time, that message hit home. And that day, 3,000 people became Christians. They put their trust in Jesus. So the question I want to ask is, is that kind of boldness possible for you and for me? Or is it just reserved for unusually gifted Christians? 
Well, this story makes one thing really clear. is that these disciples, these first disciples, were not exceptional people. Most of them, in fact, were not even educated. But they were filled with extraordinary power. They weren't exceptional people, but they were filled with an extraordinary power. And today we're going to learn about that power. And there's three things I want us to learn about it. Um, where that power comes from, what the power enables us to do, and what stops us from accessing it. So where it comes from, what it enables us to do, and what stops us from accessing it. So first of all, where does it come from? Well, let's start with um, verses 1 through 4. Uh, when the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. That's the disciples. And suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each of them. And all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. So, uh, for those of you who like timelines, um, then we've been brought forward in the story to 50 days after Jesus' death on the cross and a week after he ascended into heaven. And the day is Pentecost. Now, what's Pentecost? Pentecost was a Jewish festival, uh, a really important one that had a double significance. On one hand, it celebrated uh, the agricultural harvest, and secondly, it commemorated God giving the law to Moses on Mount Sinai. Pentecost was a massive celebration. But interestingly, we don't find the disciples joining in the party. No, we find them in this, in this house doing actually what we saw them doing in chapter 1. They were united in prayer and waiting for the gift that Jesus had promised. But now their waiting is over. All these things happen at once. Suddenly they hear something, a sound, something like a violent, roaring wind. And they see something, something like little tongues of fire coming to rest over each person. What's going on? It seems all pretty weird and random, uh, but actually it makes a lot of sense in the bigger story of the Bible. See, in the Old Testament, uh, God often used great winds um, as demonstrations of his power. And he often used fire to visualize his presence. You know, we were just going through the book of Exodus, so maybe some of you pricked up your ears when you heard that word fire. Because in Exodus, God's presence was visible as a great pillar of fire that filled the tabernacle. Here at Pentecost, a supernatural fire separates out into smaller tongues of fire, literally the word tongue from your mouth, um, which is, is guess the disciples' best guess at kind of what shape it took. But perhaps not unlike little fiery pillars, each one above a believer. What's going on? Well, the story of God has taken an unexpected turn. God will no longer dwell in a tabernacle or a temple. He has made for himself a new temple in his people. God's powerful and personal presence lives in us, his church. Now, I wonder how often you think about that. Do you ever wonder at it? 
See, in my experience, it's easy to think of God mostly as up there. You know, he's apart from us. He's, he's distant from us, transcendent in heaven. And that's actually true. But we just as much need to think of God as in here. That through his Holy Spirit, Jesus has truly become Emmanuel, God with us. He's not just transcendent, but imminent. Not just up there, but in here. He's as close, as intimate as it's possible to be. Do you ever think about that? Now you might say, well, sure, that's all very well and good. I get that. But what difference does it make? In other words, uh, we understand that uh, the Holy Spirit lives in us, but what does he do? What does he give us? Uh, and to answer that question, um, we should we will have to wonder. Well, we know where this power comes from, the Holy Spirit, but uh, what what does it actually do for us? What does it do in us? Well, you might remember last week I, I zoomed in a little bit on the Holy Spirit. There's lots we could say. Uh, it would take many many sermons to cover it all, but um, I zoomed in that the Spirit takes what Jesus has done for us and makes it real to us. He takes the uh, death of Jesus and all that achieved and makes it a real experience for Christians. And that's true, uh, but it's not the whole story. Let's add something else here. Uh, the Spirit, um, in this first part of Acts 2, has a very obvious effect on the disciples. They began to speak in tongues or other languages, verse 4. Uh, and, and as this happens, they obviously spill out from the house into the street. Um, and that's where we find out why this is important. Uh, let's look at verses 5 to 6. Uh, now they were staying in Jerusalem, God-fearing Jews from every nation under heaven. Uh, when they heard this sound, a crowd came together in bewilderment because each one heard their own language being spoken. Now remember I said uh, Pentecost is a big deal in the Jewish calendar. And so every year thousands of Jews from across the known world, across the Roman Empire, uh, would descend on the city. And for a few days, Jerusalem would become this incredible melting pot of language and culture. But now, suddenly, the festivities are interrupted by this group of Galileans. And Galileans were known as rustic, rural, kind of hicks, um, generally uneducated. And yet, something amazing is happening. These Galileans are talking in the, uh, the people... Uh, the people's own languages, their own dialects. And every single person heard, at least presumably one of the disciples, speaking their tongue. No need for Duolingo. Uh, these disciples have received automatic fluency. Who, who wouldn't love that? And for this reason. So that not a person in that part of the city could not hear their story the story of how God has done marvelous things. Now, again, this fits into a much bigger story. We heard uh, before the, the um, reading uh, from Genesis, which tells the story of the Tower of Babel. And this is one of the earliest stories that illustrates uh, the impact of sin, uh, the curse of sin. This advanced society rises up uh, that begins to think extremely highly of itself. And so highly that they decide that if they built this great tower, then they could become like gods, towering over regular humans. It's this perfect illustration of 
arrogant spiritual pride and how God responds to it. Because God steps down, and he has to, because actually the tower wasn't really that high. Uh, and he confuses their language. He divides them. That curse of division is still felt today. In fact, this weekend, thousands march because of the pain of our inability to be unified as a human race. But something shifted on that fateful Pentecost day. On that day, the curse of the vision, the impact of sin, began to be undone. You see, the people of Babel boastfully elevated themselves to heaven. But see now, God, with deep humility, lowers himself to earth first in the person of Jesus and now in the person of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit acts through these first Christians to plant the seeds of unity that would break down boundaries of race and language. Now, uh, later in the story, we'll see just how the gospel um, practically unites um, racial enemies into one community. But for now, we can at least see God's plan revealed, that the gospel, the good news about Jesus, would not be bound to one time or one place or one culture or one language. It would not be owned by one group of people. It would be relevant for every age. It would be received everywhere, and it would be good news for everyone. I believe that without the Spirit, the news about Jesus would have died out before too long. It would have been stamped out uh, by authorities or its messengers would have grown weary and disillusioned or the barriers of distance and language would have sapped its strength. But the Spirit's job is to make the impossible mission possible. With his power, the gospel overcame every challenge and it was all by continuing to use the most ordinary people to raise their voices in witness to the extraordinary Christ. Pentecost is a picture. It's a picture of the gospel, that the gospel would be for everyone. And God's mission included the whole world. Now, should we take these verses literally? Some people have. Um, Some people have expected, great, that if I decide to kind of go overseas or something, then... I'll pray and God will kind of give me uh, the automatic fluency in the language of the place that I want to go to. Um, now, could, is it impossible for God to do that again? No, of course not. He could do that. But I don't think that that's what we should read from Acts chapter 2. I mean, it's clear that Pentecost was a time-bound event meant to demonstrate a timeless truth. And that truth is that God's word cannot be restricted, and God's people cannot stay silent. Like Peter, we are to raise our voices. Now, hear me for a moment. When I say raise your voice, there's a few things I don't mean by that. I don't mean to start posting on Facebook in all caps or on Twitter. In fact, Peter himself wrote later that we must be prepared to give an answer but to do it with gentleness and respect. Raising your voice doesn't mean being aggressive. 
speaking up does not mean arguing on social media or trying to win a debate with someone but while, while losing them as a friend. And it certainly doesn't mean that we open our mouths without also opening our lives and letting people in. The message of Jesus is offensive enough, actually, without us adding to it. Now, raising our voices uh, simply means becoming public Christians, people known for our faith in Christ, people unashamed to make it clear to others that Jesus is the most essential thing in our lives and the center of everything we do. Now, I don't know if there's anyone here today who doesn't identify as a Christian, um, but if you do, you might be thinking, surely this is offensive. Surely pushing your religion on other people is offensive. Um, and as I've said, um, pushing religion on someone else definitely is offensive. That no no um, belief should be rammed down someone else's throat. Faith shouldn't be pushed on anyone. But we might imagine that, uh, imagine for a second that someone discovered tomorrow a cure for a coronavirus. It would be incredible, right? Now, what would be more offensive? Them keeping it just to themselves and maybe to their close friends and family? Or sharing it far and wide, even at the risk that some might not believe them, some might mock them? Christians believe the gospel is the cure to humanity's deepest problems. That means that sharing it surely isn't an act of offense but an act of love, even if it's not received well. And it was love and it was the power of the Spirit that compelled Peter to speak up at that first Pentecost. He spoke to the crowd and used the, the words of the prophet Joel to show that right now God is ushering in a new age of the Spirit, a new time and era when people across the world would come to believe in the risen Jesus Christ. And he declared that the very center of God's rescue plan is the life, the work, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension of Jesus. It's about his life in which God shows us his identity through his wondrous deeds and flawless character. And it's about his death on the cross so that we could find forgiveness for the terrible things we've done. It's about God raising him from the dead because death could not hold him down. It's, it's about him ascending to the right hand of God, where he reigns as Lord and King. And it's about him, Jesus, sending us his life-giving spirit, which resurrects our hearts, our spirits, from the dead. All this is what Peter proclaims in this incredible first sermon preached to these people gathered. Peter raised his voice, and he told them the gospel. And the Spirit took these words and he uses them as a spiritual scalpel. Verse 37 says, Those who are listening were cut to the heart. In other words, their consciences were seared. They, they opened up their lives to receive the good news. And they asked, what shall we do? And Peter says, believe and be baptized. And 3,000 of them let go of their unbelief and receive the forgiveness of God and the Spirit came on them as well, showing that the Spirit was not a gift just for those first 120 people, but would come on everyone who declares that Christ is Lord 
and receives his love and forgiveness. So it's not just that the Spirit gives power for the mission and confidence in the message, actually. He also gives fruit from the mission. No one receives Jesus without the Spirit enabling them. It's interesting that Pentecost was a harvest festival because that's what happened. On that day, a spiritual harvest was brought in, a harvest of souls. But despite all this, I think most of us still find the call to be witnesses incredibly difficult to take up. The call to mission speaks directly to our deepest fears. Fear that we'll be rejected, embarrassed, mocked, ostracized. Fear that we won't, we'll stumble over our words or we won't explain something well, we won't answer questions well. And let's be honest, that fear is not totally unfounded. Speaking to others about Jesus is, is deeply uncomfortable. And if there's one thing our society teaches us, it's to be comfortable at all costs. It's the message of our world, of the Western world at least. And yet we should know that the Spirit doesn't call us to anything that He doesn't also give us power to do. And that includes the courage to take the risk of discomfort and also the wisdom you know, not to, to speak words of grace and truth in a way that doesn't invite rejection, to speak of gentleness and respect. So what's the answer? If this is the, the Spirit is available to us, He lives in us, He gives us these things, and yet we don't know or often access those benefits. So what's the answer? How could we become a church community that isn't afraid to raise our voices and be public witnesses? Well, the answer is that we have to learn, first of all, how to witness to ourselves, how to testify to ourselves what God has done and is doing, to tell ourselves the gospel. Our own pride elevates us up in our own eyes, or once elevated us us up in our own eyes while running away from God as far as we can imagine. Once upon a time, we too were like those people of Babel. It was our sin, actually, not just that of the Jewish leaders and Romans that led Jesus to the cross. We too were lost and confused, disunified and disconnected. That was our state before Christ. And God could have left us in that state. But instead, Jesus took the road of discomfort and pain. We, were, we fear rejection and abandonment, embarrassment and, and ostracization. Uh, Jesus gladly suffered all of them and more. He accepted them willingly. And to the extent that we get this, to the extent that we get what lengths Christ went to reach us, to that same extent, we will risk discomfort to reach others. To the same extent that we understand what it took for Jesus to send us the Spirit, to that same extent we will access the Spirit and His power within us and be empowered to go out and speak to others. And not just that. We, we, we see in the Gospels that Jesus relied on the Spirit Himself to help Him. So it takes a deep belief fueled by prayer and scripture 
that the same spirit that empowered Jesus for his ministry will also empower us for ours. This is what it would take, I think, for us to become courageous witnesses in each aspect of our own lives. To witness to ourselves the same gospel that we are called to witness to others. But some of you are thinking, but sure, but where do I start? You know, do I have to get up at a street corner tomorrow? No. Start simply. Start with something simple. You might start Monday morning when you log into your first Zoom work call and a colleague asks you, hey, what did you do on the weekend? And instead of listing literally everything that you did except for what took up most of your Sunday morning, you could say, well, actually, I, I Zoomed into my church. You might start when uh, a friend of yours is sharing about what they're struggling with in life. And you could say, well, let me tell you how my faith in Jesus helps me to overcome that same thing. Or might start with knocking on the door of a neighbor's house, the one that you haven't met before. You might have seen and waved but never actually spoken to. Or it could start by starting to share your own struggles to be a witness with your missional community if you're in one. To let other Christians encourage you and help you and maybe even learn how to reach out together. This is what it takes. What it takes is for us to say to God, here we are, use us. And start simply and to pray each morning for the Spirit to open our eyes to opportunities and give us the courage and the boldness to take them. To begin to recognize God's power and presence in us. Well, let me pray for us. Um, and then John's going to continue in prayer. Um, and we'll sing, and then I can also answer some questions that you might want to send through. God, we've heard your word. We see what you've done for us and the power you've given us. May we learn as your people to take hold of this gospel, to take hold of the good news that your extraordinary power and presence is in us so that we may be empowered for the mission to be public witnesses and to take the risk of discomfort so that we might bring the comfort of God to others. Amen.